here we go. Welcome to the Nine Rat Fantasy Football Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back in to the Nine Route Fantasy Football Podcast. Pat and Scott, we are back. No Monday night games and all that stuff's done. We are just wrapping up championship weekend. Both AFC and NFC titles have been claimed. And looking forward in two weeks to a Super Bowl. We had uh, the Kansas City Chiefs take out the Cincinnati Bengals to win the AFC. And as we all knew, our Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles throttled the San Francisco 40 winers, I mean 49ers, uh, and took the NFC title. Two weeks from now in Glendale, Arizona, will be the matchup of Andy Reid, former Eagles coach, uh, against his former team, and Nick Sirianni leading the Eagles with Jalen Hurts, Pat Mahomes. You're going to have your two uh, first matchup ever of two starting black quarterbacks, which is a big thing for the league for historic reasons, social reasons, and otherwise. It was a great weekend, Pat. Uh, you know, took a little bit of a uh, a hit there. My my play wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be because of, let's just say, creative refereeing in the <laughs> AFC game. Uh, the NFC game creative. was pretty much, uh, once there was an injury to the starting quarterback, it just kind of all unraveled uh, from there and, and you know, again, I was actually able, I just said it to you before we started, that I was actually able to catch both games, and uh, it was kind of nice. So I'm looking forward probably in two weeks to having off. Also, I always try to get the Super Bowl off, and then this one, uh, I think I may have some champagne ready. How was your weekend, sir? <laughs> it was good, but but you buried the lead on this one, man. This is Super Bowl 57 is, uh, is for, at least for me anyway, is affectionately going to be known as the Kelsey Bowl. Jason Kelsey of the Philadelphia Eagles versus Travis Kelsey of the Kansas City Chiefs. Crazy. And for those who obviously listen to football-related podcasts might know that they do have their own podcast. Uh, I believe it's called uh, New Heights, I think is the name of it. Charts just behind ours, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pro- probably. Yeah, I would think so. Um, but uh, yeah, kind of excited to get to see. I mean, they won't be on the field at the same time, obviously, because they both play offense. But uh, it's going to be great. I, th- I think, you know, more than likely both of those guys will come out to uh, midfield as captains for the game, for the coin toss. Yeah. And uh, that'll be, I mean, could you imagine being a parent of two kids who are playing in the Super Bowl against each other? Like that's a, uh, that's a proud dad moment. If I've ever, if I've ever heard of one in my, in my life. Yeah, they always show the mom, Donna with the, the split jersey and now mm-hmm. that's going to be so real uh on that level yeah no i i did yeah it, it is the kelsey bowl i thought the the 50 super bowl 57 was an honor of bill but you know, <laughs> i guess that doesn't doesn't fly that's a little inside joke for us here at the at the nine round um yeah no i definitely think yeah it's going to be interesting to see uh like you say the two brothers both on offense and uh which one will help uh lead their team to uh super bowl glory and both, I believe, have one Super Bowl ring at this point, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Both so have one, one will have one. two, and one will have one. And and uh, unfortunately the for Travis, debate. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go. You, you yeah. may have the stats, but I got the rings. Yeah, that'll always be the uh, you know because the offensive linemen they get what pancake blocks and least penalized. That's like the most yeah. got to yeah, really that's... bring to the table. But if I have, they get but... nice watches and 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 things from their quarterbacks. Generally, they get bought yeah. very good gifts. I, I've heard. 
Um, yeah. but that's about it as an offensive lineman. No, no glory in the trenches. Uh, unless you're on the defensive line getting sacks, but yeah, the less the less you're heard of, or heard from, the better uh, for the O line. Meanwhile, Kelsey's, uh, you know, very uh, standout star and, and pound for pound may may finish his career as the best tight end ever. Uh, you know, he's kind of trending in that direction based on stats, and if his career uh, extends a, a little bit further. Yeah, if he can stay healthy and and you know stay at the top of his game, he's I believe he's 31 now. So, you know, for tight ends, he's he's getting up there. But I mean, Tony Gonzalez played you know well into his 30s. He wasn't as good as he got older, mm-hmm. but I mean, I, honestly, Tony Gonzalez didn't even put up the numbers that Travis Kelsey's putting up in his career. So, uh, you know, the, it would not surprise me if Travis Kelsey played another three, maybe even four years of really you know high level football. And uh, and continue to rack up stats, and you know the Chiefs are going to be, you know, as long as Patrick Mahomes stays healthy, you know Andy Reid's the, the head coach. They're going to continue to get to the playoffs, and you know potentially to more Super Bowls. So he's going to get to continue to rack up those postseason numbers, and maybe be considered, you know, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, tight end of all time by the time he retires. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some there's some big names out there, like you say, Gonzalez, Gronk. Antonio Gates, Shannon Sharp. I mean, even going back as far as like Mike Ditka and Ozzie Newsom. But, mm-hmm. you know, pound for pound, I think he's helped to take that position to the next level. And, yeah, you know, I think a lot of people in our fantasy community started to write him off uh, a little bit this season before it started. And the smart people like yourself kind of picked him up in a couple leagues. And, again, I'm always a tight end guy, so I think that that helps to to kind of be that one position uh, pound for pound that can push you over the top. Sometimes you get a five, six-point advantage a game, and he's a guy to do it. Yeah, definitely. This coming into this season, a lot of people because of the way last season ended had Mark Andrews at the number one spot for mm. tight ends. I, I, you know, I thought with the loss of Tyreek Hill that Kelsey's necessity in the offense was going to grow, and uh, and it did. And he put up a, a season for the ages as far as fantasy football goes. But uh, you know, just as far as regular football, he is uh, he's an outstanding football player, and so is Jason. I mean, you know, like you said, offensive linemen don't get the credit that they probably deserve. But uh, I mean, I believe that Jason Kelsey is one of those guys who, if you ask players around the league who the best players in the league are, he's definitely up there. Really, really talented football family there with the with the Kelseys. Yeah, both first ballot Hall of Famers, and uh, you know, we'll we'll see what happens in a couple weeks. Uh, I know we are going to obviously review the games, and we're going to get into in a little bit also our fantasy award winners. Uh, your your winners in our book based on uh, some Twitter polls and and some feedback that we took from our fans and listeners out there. So why don't we uh, why don't we dive right into the championship uh, week recap there, Pat? Yeah. So for us personally in our picks, we both went four and two. We took the same. Same teams, uh, you know, over-unders, everything was exactly the same. So we got everything right except for we both had Cincinnati winning that game, which, uh, you know, apparently the referees in that game did not. So, you know, we were on the wrong end of that one. But, uh, no, that was a good game. I I think that uh, there definitely was, you know, I could understand why people would think that there was maybe a little bit of favoritism in in some of those calls and and things that happened in that game. I, I completely get it. So, uh, but I did think that Kansas City played a great game. I mean, it was not – I knew it was going to be close. I mean, I think we both kind of figured that that it was going to be – I think we both called three-point games last week on the podcast. So uh, I think we both kind of knew that, that that kind of game was coming. And then uh, that's kind of the way it ended up. So we both went four and two in the championship round. 
That puts our overall record at 24 and 12 for me and 21 and 17 for you. So uh, both still well above 500 on our picks for this postseason. And uh, we'll get one more crack at it next week to pick the money line, the spread, and the over-under in the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, maybe uh, throw some prop bets in there. Maybe I'll get a chance to catch up. But yeah, I, I got a feeling <laughs> we're gonna. I got a feeling we're gonna be in the same boat for for a lot of these picks as well. So. Yeah, yeah, I think after last week, your chance at uh, at catching up in this one's probably gone, unless you go uh, off the rails here next week. But you know, I, I never do that. Don't <laughs> worry. I am a I am a chugging down the line there. I am Thomas the Tank Engine, buddy. All right, so let's jump into the actual uh, championship game recaps. Uh, the first game, obviously, was the Philadelphia Eagles hosting the San Francisco 49ers, a game in which Philadelphia pretty much knocked out everyone in uh, the stadium that could throw a football and uh, left San Francisco kind of reeling in the second half. Both Brock Purdy and backup quarterback Josh Johnson were injured in this game, and that led to only six pass attempts in the second half of the game for the 49ers and a game where they were down. Uh, you know, quite a few points coming into the second half and, and a game where they probably would have been and should have been throwing the ball. They were really unable to do that. You know, it, it did kind of make for, if you're not a uh, an Eagles fan, probably made for a pretty boring game. I saw some some comments on Twitter while the game was going on that, uh, you know, they're like, oh, this is the worst. This is the worst championship game I, you know, can ever remember. And, uh, you know, like I said, if you, if you were just a casual fan and not a fan of either of these teams, it probably was a pretty bad and pretty boring game. But uh, if you were an Eagles fan, man, it was one of the greatest games you've ever witnessed. Philadelphia rushed the ball 44 times for 148 yards and four touchdowns on the ground against the number one rush defense in the league. Uh, <laughs> it was mixed everywhere. Miles Sanders had two touchdowns. Jalen Hurts had one. And uh, it was Boston Scott had the other one, if I'm not mistaken right yeah boston scott yeah. ran that one in and uh on the 49er side of the ball obviously with quarterbacks out of the game christian mccaffrey had a, a pretty decent game had a, a really tough touchdown run where he kind of hurdled a guy in the backfield broke a couple tackles i mean he really showed why the san francisco 49ers went out and traded for him in the middle of the season and i think that you know moving forward if god forbid you know, the, the, their team can stay healthy next year. I think San Francisco is poised to be right back in the playoffs next year with that group of talented offensive players. And they're going to return most of their defensive starters next year. I think only three are not under contract uh, for next year. So San Francisco could be looking to, to make another run at this thing next year. But in this game, for those who were playing in any sort of fantasy playoff type games, Christian McCaffrey went 15 for 84 with a rushing touchdown, also caught four of four passes for 22 yards uh, in the receiving game. So how did you actually getting to, to catch a game and not being at work? How did, uh, how did you like this one? <laughs> uh, it was awesome. No, I mean, obviously being partial as a fan, you know, to see your team win. Um, I was lucky enough back in 2017, 2018, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, uh, I had purchased in December uh, two tickets to wherever the NFC championship game was going to be, but kind of had that gut feeling and was able to go with uh, with my father-in-law, your uncle, to uh, actually catch the Vikings game. And that game was similar. Where Also a blah, yeah. Yeah, coming in, yeah. And, I mean, everybody was higher on the other team. My, uh, Minnesota had one of the top defenses in the league. We weren't really expected to maybe compete the way we were supposed to, uh, albeit – 
not with the backup quarterback. And, you know, we're able to pull that out. This game I, I was in one where I think we talked last week. We really felt like possibly close, but it, as, as it got closer to the game, I, I felt like blowout had a potential. Now, obviously, taking Brock Purdy out is huge because, again, it's your starting quarterback. And then to see Ndamukong Sue, it looked like a house fell on Josh Johnson. Pat, I said it to you. I was like, I didn't it think it looked like the Wicked Witch of the East. Yeah, literally, just saw feet <laughs> and the way his arm went. I was like, I don't know if this guy's getting up. And, you know, that's that's one thing. When you, it was a body bag game. I mean, we were all part, we've been on both sides of that with our quarterbacks as well as, uh, you know, treating other teams the same way. And, to see that happen, you kind of just suck the life out of them. And the fact that they could not generate offense by passing and became completely, utterly one-dimensional really just, you know, sucked it out. Now, could it have been more competitive with a quarterback in there if they had maybe activated Jimmy G, which, you know, there's some debate. Yeah, I, I still think we win the game. Maybe not quite as convincingly, but pretty convincingly still. Again, we were the better team top to bottom. Uh, having the home field advantage, everything worked out in our favor. and. You know, being able to see that celebration, I think we kind of have a feeling in our gut uh, what's going to happen next. The line opened at Eagles getting a point and a half. To It's now flipped to the Eagles giving two uh, as of right now. So uh, the betting public, the smart money is already on the Eagles, uh, obviously with some stuff to fall out of the Kansas City game based on injuries. They're two weeks away, but I think everybody kind of has an idea after that performance. Uh, overall, who the who the better team is and who's probably going to win the Super Bowl? Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of you know. Again, you just I'm just talking you know my sphere of people that that I interact with. There's a lot of thought or or common belief out there that Philadelphia has had a cakewalk of a, of a season, a cakewalk <laughs> of a of a playoff run. Um, first of all, you, they earned the number one seed by being the best team in the NFC. So a buy is not a cakewalk. A buy is an earned yes. week off. And, you know, Kansas City got one too. So as far as who they played, they, they couldn't help that they played the Giants. That, that's who won the game. That's, you know, the Giants were better than the Vikings. And that's who the Eagles got to play in the second round. Talking about now you're going into a game against the number two team in the NFC, the 49ers. And it was like, oh, well, yeah, well, their quarterbacks got knocked out of the game. So, uh, of course, the Eagles won that one. Well, guess what? Their quarterbacks didn't get hurt. They didn't get in a car accident on the way to the stadium and couldn't play. They got knocked out in the game because the Philadelphia defensive line, like I said last week on the podcast, this game's going to be won by the offensive and defensive lines of these teams. Yep. The Philadelphia defensive line absolutely dominated that game from start to finish. And you would have seen more domination had San Francisco been able to throw the ball. Yep. The fact that they just had no quarterbacks and had to run pretty much the entire second half limited what sort of stats the defense was able to put up, but I kind of had a feeling going in that the, the Eagles offensive and defensive lines were going to be the key to them winning that game. And, and it, I mean, it came to fruition early and, and often. And uh, you know, it just, uh, again, I'm not saying that you go out intentionally to, you know, injure players, but if you protect your quarterback and he doesn't get sacked, you know, twice in the first, you know, two series of the game, well, then maybe he's there in the second half and and can help lead you to a, a comeback and and maybe a, a closer game. But that's not what happened. So, uh, you know, I don't. I'm not. Again, this is not me being a biased Philadelphia Eagles fan. I pride myself on being a very, you know, logical and very. What's the word I'm looking for? A very uh, unbiased. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, not, I was, I was trying to come up with a, you know, like a, a Homer <laughs> trying to oh, not no, be I, a Homer, but no, that's, a, but the, I, you know, I can't think of the word off of the top of my head, but I, I, I'm not one of those people who's just like, I'm, I'm not making excuses for the Eagles and why they're the best team in the league and all this and that you're going to find, we're going to find out in two weeks, honestly. And, and that's, you know, that is what it is. But the fact that they dominated this game up front, even when San Francisco ran the ball early before anybody, you know, when, when Johnson was still in there, when, you know, when Purdy was still in there, the Eagles still played the run extremely well, which is, was not their strong suit. They were much better against the pass. So, you know, it, it you can say whatever you want to say about, about, you know, Philadelphia's walk to the Super Bowl, but you can only play the teams that are on your schedule and the teams that, you know, make it to the next round of the playoffs. And that's what they did. And it, you know, it's not like they knocked these two quarterbacks out and then won this game 10 to seven. It was 31 to seven. And yes, I do understand that San Francisco not having an offense put their defense in a hole and, and made it much more difficult for, you know, for the defense to get off the field because they were playing so much. I get all that, but the game happened the way that it happened, and the Eagles should get some credit for being a solid team. They've now outscored their two playoff opponents by uh, a combined score of sixty-eight to fourteen. So that's a that's a pretty good team in my book, if you ask me. No, I, I again, I agree, and I it, I will say. It, I do take it a little bit personal and I think you do too. I think we're trying to be, you know, take the high road on it, but to hear all the time, you know, that we don't earn it, you know, 2017, you you did it with your backup quarterback against the greatest quarterback and team of all time. And you're able to win that game. I mean, you look back at teams like, look at like the 85 bears, Uh, you know, I went back and looked because somebody was on Twitter saying, of course, yeah, we, you know, we basically stole this and, and everything else. And you look back at the, a team that was a one-dimensional team that had an amazing defense, arguably the best of all time. The Eagles are a top three all-time this season. Their entire defense with their sacks and their yardage and everything that they've done. And that 85 Bears team basically had Walter Payton and the defense. That was it. Jim McMahon was a not a dominant quarterback by any stretch. He was just that guy. And they played Phil Simms, Dieter Brock of the Rams, and Steve Grogan, who was like 80 in the Super Bowl. <laughs> and a team that a team that didn't deserve to get to the Super Bowl because they just basically held the football against Miami and Dan Marino couldn't pass because he had he attempted like 20 passes. They held the ball for almost 40 minutes that game. So at the end of the day, teams do end up getting lucky, so to speak. You know, But like you said, we, we didn't cakewalk as much as the Eagles didn't cakewalk as much because you look at that they played two teams twice that made the playoffs. They beat the team that knocked out, you know, the our – one of our big rivals, uh, the Washington football team, commanders, whatever you want to call them, they were within a breath of making it too. So our entire division was right there. And when you look back at what the Niners did, they played one good team besides us all season, one really good team, and they lost by 20 points. You look at Kansas City on the other side, and you know they definitely win this game. Obviously, we're going to get into that too, but the most complete team out of the two when you're going to line these guys up Everybody's going to give Mahomes the edge over Hurts, and they already have him in the Hall of Fame. But you're, you're going to see that the more complete team is the Philadelphia Eagles, and that's what showed yesterday, and they won. And they won because, yes, they they did the things that people thought they couldn't do. They stopped the run. you know, They ran the football against that vaunted run-stop defense. And you saw how frustrated San Fran was at the end of the game because, yeah, you, 
you know, they tried to come, they tried to come into our house and push us around. And we took the lunch money and said, nope, go home, guys. Sorry, ain't going to happen. They thought, oh, yeah, we, we can deal with these fans. We know our teams, our fans are loud, too. It's nobody comes in here and makes it out alive. And, and guess what? <laughs> You're just another strike on the wall, guys. That's all you are. So hats off to you, Sam, friend. Go back to your hellhole of a city. And go birds. You're tagging the whole city now. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. Don't get me don't get me started on San Fran. But yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's move on to the other game before we get too uh too hyped here. Uh the, the night I can't cap- I'm hyped, man. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> what the game tomorrow. Right. The uh the nightcap obviously was the Cincinnati Bengals at the Kansas City Chiefs, a game in which uh unfortunately a 15 yard unnecessary roughness penalty at the end of the game is is kind of what's going to be remembered well i guess there's going to be a few penalties remembered in this game <laughs> but uh that's kind of you know the the worst part for me because i you know I, I i watch the game and pay attention to the game the young man who who you know pushed mahomes out of bounds at the end of the game and and got the penalty that that moved kansas city into field goal range with eight seconds left was having an outstanding game he's you know he was not a standout player throughout the season just he was just having a great game in this particular championship game and really kind of just got a little overzealous and and anxious and and made a, a kind of a dumb play and and it cost his team uh, you know at least a shot to get to overtime and and maybe win it there but uh this was a fantastic game it was it was really uh exciting to watch you know i was on the edge of, like literally on the edge of my seat like Almost every play in this game, and I mean, it was really, it was a really entertaining game for again for those fantasy players out there. Joe Burrow had an outstanding game, uh, twenty six of forty one for two hundred and seventy yards, one touchdown. Did have two picks. You know, one was a really bad sort of underthrown pass. The other one was tipped and then intercepted, and and wasn't even really that costly of a play because it was kind of like a punt. I think the the Chiefs got the ball down on like their own fifteen yard line, so. Had they not completed that pass, I, I believe they would have been, I think it was third down that they threw that ball. So they would have been punting on the next play and probably would have got the ball right around the same area. So that really wasn't that bad of a play. The big thing was he actually led the team with 30 yards rushing on four attempts. And for me personally in this game, I was surprised at the fact that Cincinnati only handed the ball to their running backs 13 times in this game. Yes, I know you have Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and like you know you this this is a passing league and you're a passing offense and I get it, but I felt like to win in Arrowhead and I I should I should have gone back I didn't have time to to do that today before we got on and I should have and I I wanted to and I'm I'm going to after we stop recording here but I wanted to go back and see how many times they ran the ball last year because I can guarantee it was more than 13 times. It just was not, you know, I, I didn't like the game plan for the Bengals. I felt like they were throwing the ball too much. I, I do, you know, there were a few drives where I remember they would run the ball and, you know, get stopped for no gain or a loss and then sort of be forced to throw the next two plays. But there was a lot of situations where in my head I was watching the game thinking, you got to run this thing right here. And they're still throwing the ball. And I'm like, I just, I don't understand why with, three backup offensive linemen, you're putting them in a situation to have to pass block so often. I feel like offensive linemen, I know offensive linemen prefer to run the ball. They'd much rather be delivering the hits than absorbing the hits. And the fact that Cincinnati didn't really attempt to run the ball 
enough or all that much uh, was just really surprising to me. On the other side of the ball, Patrick Mahomes went 29 for 43 for 328 yards and two touchdowns uh, after you know basically every other wide receiver got hurt in this game. Marquez Valdez-Scantling came up with six receptions on eight targets for 116 yards and a touchdown. And Travis Kelsey just, you know, continues to do what Travis Kelsey does. Another ho-hum, seven catches for 78 yards and a touchdown. And, uh, you know, the the Chiefs were, they. I think the Chiefs came in with a better game plan. Uh, I feel like they executed better. And even with, you know, an injured Patrick Mahomes, they all in all were the better team. I, I do, you know, again, I do understand a lot of Cincinnati fans and a lot of, you know, just fans of neither team who felt like the officiating sort of leaned pretty hard uh, towards the Kansas City side in that game. But, you know, maybe aside from one or two defensive, you know, holding or, or you know, legal contact penalties, I really felt like all the penalties that were called were actually penalties. Now there was that one play that you and I talked about before the podcast where they sort of blew the play dead, but didn't blow the play dead. And, and uh, Cincinnati stopped Kansas city on fourth down. And then they got third down back again. Like, there was that, that whole weird thing that was tough. And and I feel like if I'm, you know, if I'm the Cincinnati Bengals, I, I am I'm pretty upset about that. But the truth of the matter is if Joseph Asai does not commit that penalty on that, Patrick Mahomes scramble for a first down. The Chiefs still have to, you know, run another play and and get into field goal range. You're, you're not kicking a whatever it was a 60 yard field goal in those conditions in Arrowhead. So you know that that's still on the players and and on the coaches. Um, one play does not win or lose a game. Uh, two plays does not win or lose a game. I think that the Bengals had plenty of opportunities to win this game, and uh, and just you know, came up a little bit short, unfortunately. I, I do think they were a really good team. I do think all in all, the Bengals are probably still the better team, but you know, that's the beauty of football. It's, it's one game and, and you have to go out and win that one game. It's not like a, it's not like other sports where you get a series. And if you, you know, you, you blow one game, you, you have the opportunity to come back and, and try it again. Yeah. I, I mean, it did. <laughs> Not that I had, you know, obviously picking the team and, and thinking who was the better team. I think, yeah, we both agreed Cincinnati. We both thought they were going to win and and whatnot. And I'm not anti-Kansas City or anti-Mahomes or anything. And, yeah, it was a it was a fairly good game. I mean, you're talking about Cincinnati, who was minus three offensive linemen. Uh, and then during the game, they lose Tyler Boyd. I think you pointed out very well just there about, yes, the, the running. And I just went back while you were chatting just to give you an idea. So last year, Kansas City loses – in overtime uh, in the AFC championship game, Cincinnati holds the ball for 35 minutes to 29. They ran the ball now, albeit there was overtime factored in, but they ran the ball 27 times for 116 yards. This game, you turn around and they did nothing even close to that and almost played into their hands with an O-line that's banged up. Kansas City held the ball for 37 minutes uh, compared to 22. And then to turn around and see that, yeah, as far as the running attack goes, you ran the ball 17 times, but you were averaging 4.2 a carry. So the fact that you, yeah, you got away from it when the game wasn't really out of hand. I mean, you were talking 13 to six at halftime. You could have definitely turned around and done what you needed to do there. And and yeah, I mean, you're talking Joe Mixon, who hadn't had great carries, but that uh, Samaji P. Ryan, five carries, 22 yards. He was averaging 4.4. He ran a touchdown in. 
Um, you know, and that's where you kind of thought maybe they, they would start to take take that home and, and do what they need to do there. So, yeah, they played into their hands, definitely. Again, the, the officiating was explained. It was, you know, the play, the spot, the clock shouldn't have ran. They gave them the thing back. I, I mean, normally during the play, you would whistle that. Dead. The fact that it got to the point where you're resetting the ball for fourth down and they go, oh, oh nope, wait a minute, pull it back. Whether BS or not, it did seem a little shady, but if it's the rule, it's the rule. Uh, there were missed penalties on both sides. There was one on the punt right leading down to the last drive for Kansas City. There was a block in the back that got missed that sprung the guy to just about midfield. And then, yeah, the guy making the costly error against Mahomes that, you know, really, albeit just gave him the game. Not to say they maybe wouldn't have scored anyway. It, it's You want to see it end, you know, clean as much as possible. Kansas City obviously taking it home. This is what their third Super Bowl in four years. Um, mm-hmm. So they're going to try to get, try to win their second, and uh, you know get another week or two to get Mahomes and maybe that receiving core healthy, and try to game plan as as best they can. Because as of right now, if they go in there and they're banged up, you're really rolling with Valdez Scanling, Sky Moore. Um, you may have to even go to practice squad guys, or you know Andy can get creative with his running backs when it comes to the passing game, but. I don't know how creative you're going to get on that. And yes, Travis Kelsey is is that guy. So we'll see what happens. It was a it was a tricky game. It was fun to watch, like you said, though it was back and forth, and, and it almost seemed like Cincinnati gave the game back to him as opposed to just lost because of a bad call or or anything like that. Yeah, the uh, yeah, again the interception on that that drive the before the final Kansas City drive. Nobody's talking about that as being the play that lost the game, but it, it very well could have. I mean, you know, Cincinnati had an opportunity to drive the ball down and get themselves into position to kick a game-winning field goal, and they didn't. And so, you know, we, we can sit here and talk all day about penalties and, you know, do-overs and, and you know, whatever whatever you want to, to, to harp on if you're, uh, you know, in the corner of, of the Cincinnati Bengals got hosed, but... The fact of the matter is they had the opportunity to win the game. They didn't. And then Kansas City had an opportunity to win the game and they did. And that's that's kind of, you know, where this all shook out. It it basically came down to the team that had the ball last. And a lot of times in these really tight games, you know, between two really good teams, that's what happens. And and that's what happened in this one. So, you know, congratulations to the Chiefs. Uh, you know, and Andy Reid, I he's still one of my favorite coaches of all time. I think that um, you know, while the Eagles parted with him, uh, you know, maybe, you know, wasn't the, the greatest timing in the world. I think that the organization knew, and I think Andy knew that it was time to, to, to move on and, and try something different. And I think that, you know, it worked out for both of them. Andy Reid's now been, you know, like you said, this is going to be his fourth Super Bowl, uh, excuse me, third Super Bowl in four years with the Kansas City Chiefs that he's going to be going to. And, uh, you know, now the Eagles have been to two in five years. So it uh, worked out for everybody. And I, and I don't foresee there being any hard feelings on either side. I think that, you know, both the Eagles organization and Andy Reid are happy for one another. And I think that this is going to be a, a great game. And I, I like the fact that there's going to be a narrative of of sort of Andy getting his revenge in this game, you know, if the Chiefs can can come and win it. And, uh, you know, maybe the Eagles knowing what they were doing by letting him go if, if the Eagles hold on to win the Super Bowl. So it's going to be really interesting to watch. And uh, we will get into that game more next week. We don't want to jump too far ahead and, and talk about the Super Bowl or else we won't have a show next week because it would be pointless. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> what we're going to do instead is we are going to announce the 
winners of our fantasy awards. The nominees were given to you last week. What we'll do is we'll go ahead and read the categories. I'll give you a quick run through of the nominees. And then, uh, Scott, you can go ahead and announce the winner since, uh, you know, you, you are the grand poobah of the, uh, of the fan of our fantasy league anyway, only three time champs. So oh, come on. Now. I mean, yeah, but I mean, gonna make it <laughs> am I making you bluff? Going to make, no, uh, going to make it for, uh, you know, this next coming season. Uh, so yeah, I do appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Let's jump into the fantasy awards for 2022. We're going to start with the biggest draft value, which we named as the Harold Carr, Michael award. I'm not going to go through why they're named what they are. If you'd like to know, Go back and listen to last week's show. We give you the little rundown here of, of why all of our awards are named after who they're named after. But the nominees for the best draft value were the Harold Carmichael Award were Ramondre Stevenson, Tony Pollard, Tyler Lockett, and Christian Kirk. And the award for biggest draft value goes to Ramondre Stevenson, running back, New England Patriots. Yeah, Stevenson was definitely one of those guys who, you know, early in the season, you know, there was a lot of hype, uh, you know, uh, whether he was going to be the guy, whether it was going to be Damian Harris, whether they were going to, you know, split the the backfield. I think with Harris's injury early in the season that lingered for a while, it really gave Ramondre Stevenson the ability to to show what he can do when he's given a majority of the touches. And he absolutely took advantage of that situation. And and I, I think moving forward, Damian Harris is a a free agent coming into next year. And uh, I don't think the uh, New England Patriots are, are really in need of, of keeping him around. They may, they may resign him, but uh, Stevenson's definitely proven that he's the lead back in their backfield now. Yeah. Uh, he was actually going back and looking in our league of record. He was the, uh, I guess, ADP concepts. He was one Oh one and finished as a top 10 running back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That'll, that'll I would say that's you. a value. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. All right, our next category is the Comeback Player of the Year, the Steve Smith Award. The nominees for this award were all running backs who were injured last year. To name them all, that was Cam Akers, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, and Travis Etienne. And the award for Comeback Player of the Year goes to Saquon Barkley, running back, New York Giants. Yeah, Barkley killed it this year. Uh, and I think, you know, this was probably a two-man race between him and McCaffrey, especially considering the the injury-prone tag that McCaffrey had this year. But McCaffrey was still being selected fairly early in fantasy football drafts, usually in the top five or so in your standard, you know, one quarterback redraft league. So uh, I think Barkley here was a little bit better value and therefore was voted as the comeback player of the year. Our Unsung Hero Award, the Jimmy Smith Award, the nominees for that award were Jamal Williams, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, and Devonta Smith. And the award for unsung hero goes to Jamal Williams, running back, Detroit Lions. Yeah, I think this was well-deserved as well. He actually received 50% of the votes total, so uh, the same amount as the other three combined. And I think with where he was drafted, uh, and what he did for your fantasy team. I think he had 15 rushing touchdowns this year. He Red absolutely Barry Sanders record, right? Yes. Yeah. It was yeah. Uh, a longstanding Detroit uh, Barry Sanders record in Detroit. And uh, 
And now it's Jamal Williams, and you'll probably not even remember because I, I, for me personally, when I hear Jamal Williams' name, I still think of him as a Packer. Like I know yeah. that he doesn't play for them anymore, but that's kind of you know how I remember him. Hopefully, this season will cement him in people's minds as a Detroit Lion, and uh, hopefully, he'll be with the team for a few more years. I think that the Lions are one of those teams, obviously, on the rise, and uh, I think Williams will continue to be a, a big part of that. All right, our Rookie of the Year award, our Randy Moss award. The nominees for that award were Ken Walker III, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Drake London. And the award for Rookie of the Year goes to Kenneth Walker III, running back, Seattle Seahawks. I think all of these guys made a case for Rookie of the Year, but Walker definitely uh, is the one guy on this list that, um, due to injury, uh, was able to, you know, really put in a, a role as a full-time player on his team and uh, and went through a, a stretch there in the middle of the season where he was just absolutely killing it. And I know I tried trading for him in a few leagues and and was unsuccessful. So definitely a, a bright future ahead for, for all of these guys, but for Walker in particular, uh, I think he's definitely a guy who we're going to be looking at at the top of drafts next year, probably. Uh, first round or, or maybe the first few picks of the second round next year. Real quick, too. I mm-hmm. mean, two guys that could have competed even to be on the ballot. Brees Hall, running mm-hmm. back New York Jets, and Damian Pierce, uh, running back Houston Texans. But injuries derailed their season as well. Otherwise, yeah, they may have given they may have given Ken Walker. I mean, Brees Hall was leading, I think, all rookies right before he went down, am I mm-hmm. not mistaken? So I know but people were a little nervous about him for next year and I would be nervous too, just because he plays for the Jets more than anything. But <laughs> yeah, so uh, again, a couple hats off. Uh, honorable mention to those two guys too, and hopefully they get healthy for next year and are fantasy football contributors. The award for biggest playoff letdown. We're going to go to our first, you know, sort of award you don't want to win. Uh, <laughs> the Kevin Dyson Award. The the nominees for that award were once again Ramondre Stevenson, DK Metcalf. Stefan Diggs and Mark Andrews. And this was from weeks 15 till week 18. Uh, the guys who just kind of didn't show up for your fantasy team. And, and you may have, uh, I know personally, I got knocked out of the playoffs due to uh, Ramondre Stevenson not performing for my fantasy team. So uh, this one hits a little close to home, but the winner of the Kevin Dyson I guess we called that right. Kevin Dyson, biggest playoff letdown <laughs> award. Ironically, it's the anniversary too of that Super Bowl today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> go figure. But that would be that Stefan Diggs, wide receiver, Buffalo Bills. Yeah, Diggs being drafted as high as he was, I think, is is the reason why he, you know, sort of won this award. He uh he definitely did not show up in your fantasy playoffs and didn't really show up very much for in the in the real playoffs either uh, yep. this year, unfortunately. All right, our biggest playoff boom, the other side of that award. This is our Julian Edelman Award. The nominees for that were Jarek McKinnon, C.D. Lamb, Devontae Smith, and George Kittle. And the award for biggest playoff boom goes to Jarek McKinnon, running back, Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, McKinnon was a guy that if you picked up late in the season, man, you, you really hit the jackpot with him. If you were willing to play him, I know that, you know, he was a guy that we talked about on the podcast a lot uh, towards mm-hmm. the end of the season and a guy that we had, uh, you know, I had made him my start of the week a few weeks in a row because he just, he looked like he was the RB one for that Kansas city offense. And uh, you know, he's a guy who's going to be difficult to place next year when it comes to 
you know, where he's going to be going in drafts and, and where I'm going to want to take him because it does look like the Chiefs are kind of deploying a two-back set so far, uh, you know, this year in the playoffs between Pacheco and McKinnon. And, uh, you know, McKinnon being a, a pass catcher might be might be the better value coming into drafts next year, especially in a, a offense that throws the ball a lot. So uh, it'll be interesting to see his fantasy prospects coming into next year. Uh, he actually finished uh, running through week 18. He finished uh, as the third <laughs> third highest ranked running back behind Austin Eckler and Christian McCaffrey. So in the last four weeks of the season, mind you. Yeah, yeah. And those guys were expected to do things like that in the playoffs, whereas McKinnon was not anywhere near expected to, to do those kind <laughs> of things. Staying so. healthy was a big deal for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, the next award is the Biggest Bust Award, the Charles Rogers Award. The nominees for that are Justin Herbert, Allen Robinson, Micah Sicky, and Kyle Pitts. Not a lot of suspense here, folks. Biggest <laughs> bust of Charles Rogers Award is, unfortunately, my guy, Kyle Pitts, tight end, Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, this was the, not only was this the biggest landslide win or, or loss, I guess, in, in Pitts' case, uh, of all of the award nominees, but this poll actually received more than three times the votes of our other polls individually. So, you know, everybody wanted to complain about how bad these guys were, especially Pitts uh, ended up with 62% of the votes. Uh, did I actually caught some flack on Twitter for Justin Herbert being on this list and, and Russell Wilson not being on this list. But, uh, you know, for me, I kind of felt like, you know, Justin Herbert was a guy that you had to invest, you know, probably a, a third, maybe a early fourth round pick to get this year. And to finish where he did, I believe he was like the QB 11 or 12. To me, that's a much bigger bust than a guy like Russell Wilson, who you were drafting in the eighth or ninth round, you know, finishing at QB 20 or wherever it was that he finished. Because for me, if I'm drafting a quarterback in the third or fourth round, that is a guy that I'm going to plug and play every single week without fail and, you know, not have to worry about, you know, streaming quarterbacks or whatever. If I drafted Russell Wilson, which I did in a couple of places, I drafted other quarterbacks just in case things didn't work out the way I thought they were going to. So that's sort of the reason why Herbert's on this list and, uh, you know, why Russell Wilson isn't. But uh, I don't think it really mattered. I think we could have probably just nominated Kyle Pitts and nobody would have complained. <laughs> I was going to say, I just even looking where, you know, the difference between between Russell Wilson and Justin Herbert is under 100 points, you know, in our league of record. But mind you, if you considered him a, a top tier quarterback that had the potential to be number one, I uh, finished almost 200 points behind Pat Mahomes. So I think, yeah, they, there's, you know, for the potential that was there, I think there is a lot of bust there. So that's not a bad say. Okay, our undrafted MVP award. These are guys who were going very, very late or completely undrafted in drafts and turned out to be maybe the most valuable player on your on your team, especially for the cost. The nominees for the Rod Smith undrafted MVP award were Geno Smith, Jarek McKinnon, Zay Jones, and Evan Ingram. And the award for undrafted MVP and man, does he deserve it, uh, is that <laughs> Geno Smith, quarterback, Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, this was a much closer vote than any of the others. Smith received 37% of the vote. 
Jarek McKinnon, 32, and Evan Ingram, 26%. So a lot of uh, you know different uh, opinions on this one. But Smith did win this award, and, and I do believe, like you said, I do believe that he deserved it. As far as, uh, again, if you had drafted a guy like Russell Wilson, you could have easily pivoted to Geno Smith because nobody was drafting him. You know, he was available on the waiver. I mean, he was available on the waiver wire in some leagues that I was in, you know, all the way up in like week 12 and 13. There was still, you know, he was still not being picked up. Nobody believed in him, uh, no matter how many good games he put together. Now, he did not light the world on fire. Don't get me wrong. But he, for for where you got him, for picking him up off of the waiver wire and him being a startable asset pretty much every week and finishing, I believe, is the, the QB5. Uh, haven't gone and, and done all of the uh, the end of year awards. We don't. We don't use outside sources for our rankings. We rank our players ourselves. Um, and I haven't actually done that yet, but I want to say he's gonna, he's finished somewhere around the QB5 he on the is, season in total points. He is QB5 just behind yeah. Joe Burrow, just ahead of Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, so absolutely a, a, a diamond in the rough uh, with Geno Smith there. So congratulations to him for uh, winning this award. And finally, the grand poobah of the awards – the MVP award, our Jerry Rice award. The four nominees for this were Patrick Mahomes, Austin Eckler, Justin Jefferson, and Travis Kelsey. And the award for MVP for 2022 is Justin Jefferson, wide receiver, Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, this was the, probably the toughest award to vote for because I feel like all of these guys absolutely you know, you could make a case for any of them, but the fact that Justin Jefferson won it just kind of goes to show that the the love that Justin Jefferson is receiving around the league right now, and uh, I think he's a guy. The people who are listening to this podcast obviously are, are fantasy football, you know, enthusiasts at least, and you know, this whole zero RB thing is becoming bigger and bigger every year. And I think that guys like Justin Jefferson, you know, Cooper Cup last year. Uh, are the reason why i mean wide receivers just have the ability to come out and just put up these ridiculous numbers in the nfl now and i think you're going to see more and more wide receivers taken early in fantasy football drafts moving forward and you're going to see you know running backs start to you know your your pass catching running backs like your austin eckler and you know your christian mccaffrey those guys are still going to be near the top because of you know the the dual threat that they bring but even you know, even guys like Eckler this year, I mean, he had to put up what 20, 19 or 20 touchdowns this year to keep up with Jeff, Justin Jefferson's pace. And, and Jefferson had nowhere near that many, especially in PPR leagues, half PPR leagues. Uh, you're going to see, I think, a lot more receivers getting selected earlier in drafts. And, and I think you've already seen it, but I think it's going to continue to grow, uh, you know, as we move forward in, in fantasy football. Yeah, I, I mean, I always look at it one uh, like a slightly different way. Again, I, I'm always a tight end leaner. If you're basing it off the is the whole, I mean, arguably you could say that Mahomes having 511 points in our league, whatnot, Jefferson being the overall top skill player. Um, but if you look at category-wise where they're separated, Pat Mahomes, the next closest guy was less than 50, uh, Eckler less than 10, Justin Jefferson, second best wide receiver, Tyreek Hill was less than 30. And ironically, that Travis Kelsey was light years ahead of his second. Uh, he was over 110 points ahead of TJ Hawkinson, who came on strong at the end. Albeit, Jefferson holds about 70 points over the head of Travis Kelsey. So 
I think if you prorate certain things, you, you kind of take a peek and, and go, yeah, he's definitely looking like that guy. If he can sustain it to be that guy for years to come. But you did see a couple meltdowns through the season where he can get, you know, taken out of a game a little bit mentally. Um, you know, if they play a little bit of a press coverage on him and, and stuff like that. Plus, he might get tired of playing in Minnesota if they just, you know, they could put up 35 points a game and still lose. So uh, it's kind of a hard, <laughs> hard deal there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately for them, they have them under contract for the next, you know, probably three years, you know, with that fifth year option. But uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be tough to resign him. I think Kirk Cousins is eventually going to move on. I don't, I don't think he's, he may stay the next three years, but I, I can't really see him staying much longer than that. I think he's 35 or 36 years old already and, and coming up to the end of the contract that he signed with the Vikings. So, you know, are the Vikings going to want to resign him? Is he going to want to continue to play? Who knows who they're going to get after Cousins leaves, and you know that obviously would have an effect on Jefferson's ability to put up numbers if if the quarterback position isn't handled in a way that you know they they draft or you know sign a, a guy who can get the ball to Jefferson early and often the, the way that Cousins can. So definitely going to be looking forward to seeing how his career sort of progresses and if he stays being this dominant receiver that. He has been, you know, his first two years in the league or, or maybe even, you know, more dominant. You know, there's there's definitely a possibility that he continues to just ascend and, and become this generational talent that uh, he looks like he has been for the for the first two years of his career. I did see now. Yes, he is under contract, but I did see some whispers that uh, his team was going to look to discuss his contract in the offseason. So holdouts, you know, you never know. You never know what's going to happen. Jefferson? Yeah, yeah. Um, I so don't I, think he can hold out yet. I think I think the first – well, yeah, he'll be in his third year. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So that's, you know, now that it's on the table, that you never know what could happen. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll see. You know, New England might trade for him and start a new dynasty or something <laughs> up there. I, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be shocked. wouldn't put it past him. I'll get Tom Brady back in there, get the band back together. Uh, but now, all kidding aside, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see what happens in the off season. Yeah, absolutely. All right, folks, that is going to do it for us for this week. Make sure to follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at the Nine Route One and at Scott from Delco. You can also check out our website www.thenineroutefb.com. And if you have any comments or questions for the show, you can email us at the Nine at gmail.com. And before we go, we want to say thank you to Mickey's Portacol Pub in Tuckerton, New Jersey, for partnering with the show. If you are looking for a great place to watch the flag football game this Sunday, <laughs> Mickey's is it. <laughs> uh, great food, drink specials, and all the football you can handle. Mickey's Pub, 327 East Main Street in Tuckerton, New Jersey, where friends and family meet. That reminds me, before we go, are you going to uh, – are you going to – watch any of the the pro bowl festivities i think they have something on thursday right and then something on is it saturday or sunday i i've been looking at some of the basic stuff that they've talked about i mean it's gonna be it's you know it's not your your father's pro bowl so to speak yeah where they're where they're kind of running it a little bit like an nfl or um uh, like an nhl style or nba yeah where they're doing multiple events though I do miss from back in the day, and I know this is this is going to age a lot of people. Not many remember. I know you probably do. Is when they used to do the superstar stuff in the off season, like during the Pro Bowl, and they'd always show the 
the passing clinics like Marino trying to hit the target 50 yards downfield, riding across yeah. the grass and all yeah. that. Like if they're doing stuff like that, to me, that would be cool. It'd be a hell of a throwback to that time uh, when it would get all them guys on the field and do that. But yeah, I mean, the game itself, I mean, it, it's always like, it's okay. You watch it, but you know, there's no skin in the game unless you're betting on it and you're insane if you do because uh, nobody's you know, trying. Yeah. yeah. Well, the yeah. fact that it's flag football, I think proves that like even the NFL has been like, okay, we get it. Like nobody wants to get hurt out here playing, mm-hmm. you know, a, a bull crap all-star game, uh, you know, but I think Thursday is when, like I said, I know there's, there's two events. There's a Thursday and then I checked it is, it is Sunday at 3 p.m. for the actual Pro Bowl mm-hmm. uh, for the flag football game. Uh, that they're having, but uh, the Thursday, I believe, is going to be some skills competition. So you're going to see, you know, like the the quarterbacks going and throwing, you know, at targets and things like that. Wide receivers, and they were like, they had like pads where they were like making these like diving one handed catches and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I think I think that's what most of Thursday is going to be, and then I think there's a little bit more of that on Saturday before the actual exhibition game starts. But uh, I think I'm actually going to watch it this year because the fact that they're not pretending that it's real football might actually make it watchable again. So I I definitely might take a look at it. I know Thursday I'm kind of interested in in checking that out because like you said, I do. I remember that and I do like those, the skills competitions and, and things like that. I think that's a much more entertaining way to showcase these talents that these guys have honestly because we've all seen them play football before we watch them play every week like another football game isn't as entertaining to me personally yeah no i i hear that i i, I think it, i think that there's some um for, I think for the, you know, for the little kids, you know, like their big star, like the guy that they got the poster on the wall of and, 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 you know, idolize, I think it's cool for them because they get to see them, um, you know, probably a little more personal, uh, you know, and goofing around and stuff like that. So it, that part of it's kind of neat, you know, but as far as like the overall as a whole, yeah, nobody's going to get hurt and, you know, just going to be sort of, I guess, a, a little bit of an appetizer, albeit not enough to, not enough to get your belly full for, for the sake of that next week. And then after that game, it's going to be uh, all hands on deck when it comes to Philadelphia. So, you know, we'll be looking forward to, to the Super Bowl. Yeah. And we'll have a, we'll have a, a lengthy discussion on the Super Bowl uh, on our show next week, where we will also bring to you our start sit results from the season, the season long start sit competition that Scott and I have had. We'll tally all that up and let you know how we did and uh, maybe discuss some changes for our start-sit segment next year as well. So uh, I know that we still have to figure that out. Maybe we will do that this week. Maybe we'll wait till the offseason. We'll figure that out uh, when the time comes. But until then, Scott, you got anything else before we get out of here? Folks, uh, enjoy the week. Get yourselves ready. Get your menus ready. And Mickey's, don't forget, folks, Mickey's uh, Call Pub probably want to look to lock in any kind of catering trays now if you're looking to get some stuff for uh, the big game in two weeks wouldn't hurt to probably call a place like that ahead. Get your order in ahead of time for your wings, your nachos, all your pickies, some sandwiches. Uh, I'm sure the folks down there are going to look forward to having folks stay with them, but are more than willing to get some packages together for you to take home. So Mickey's Portacol Pub down there in Tuckerton, 327 East Main Street. Yeah, definitely look to get some some catering done with them. I, I think if I was in the area, I know I would. Yeah, and there's a link on our website uh, to Mickey's website. So if you go on www.thenineroutffb.com 
uh, go to our partners section up at the top. There's a link to Mickey's website with their menu for catering and, uh, you know, their, their specials and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, definitely check them out. Uh, I guess that's going to be it for us for tonight until next week. Peace.